Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 98. And if you're in the pews, um, I'm sorry, the seats, there's a Bible in front of you and the page is 935. If you're at home, it's in the middle of your Bible and a little bit to the left. That's where Psalms is. Learned that when I was a little kid. It's been very beneficial. (laughs) Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, and with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. The word of the Lord. Amen. So I wonder for you, uh, what is one hope you have this Advent season? And how will you be watching to see whether that hope is fulfilled? For me, that, that hope is to experience more of the joy of the season and less of the stress. I mean, it involves finding gifts, maybe going to parties, uh, you know, putting up decorations. But I want to experience God's presence in the midst of the season at a deeper level this year and let go of unrealistic expectations and receive what is. I know for me, I want to look into the eyes of family members, you know, uh, biological and church family members. And see glimpses of God's glory in their eyes. That means taking my eyes off my cell phone at times and other things that distract me. And looking up. Longing to see Advent candlelight sort of reflected in the eyes of my family as we light Advent candles. Hearing the swell of worship as joyful voices resound with singing. Listening to the stories of people who have experienced the hope and peace and joy and love of Christ's intervention in their life. All that is what I long for this season. And that hope that we have that to experience God's presence is caught up in the Psalms. There, there are a lot of different Psalms. Uh, John Calvin once said that the Psalms are of an, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. So there's Psalms that, you know, have to do with, you know, our experiences of mourning and loss. There's, ex, there are Psalms that have to do with when we're, we feel like we're being attacked by enemies, when we're facing sickness, loneliness, when we feel dispe- defeat or despair. But then there's psalms like the one we're going to read today, Psalm 98, which have to do with joy, the joy that comes with knowing that God is on the way and that he will come and he will intervene and ultimately he will rescue and bring salvation. Psalm 98, one through nine speaks of that hope. Invite you to hear these words. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. 
The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst out into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blasts of a ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For the, let the river clap their hands. Let them sing before the Lord, before he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and his peoples with equity. Psalm 98 is the Old Testament text for Isaac, Isaac Watts' Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, which we sang this morning. The hymn celebrates the birth of Jesus as the coming of the Lord to rule the world with truth. And grace. It uses the language and the themes of this psalm in order to say that in the nativity, in the birth of Jesus, is the event of a kind and of a circumstance that is worth singing God's praises about. For the psalm announces the coming of our Savior God and King to the world, which is the hope of the prophets ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Early Christians actually chanted this psalm as a hymn about Christ to express their joy at having found a king who brings salvation instead of oppression and misery. When Isaac Watts transformed the psalm into a hymn for Christmas, he was tutored by the scripture and tradition, and he got it right. Because of Christ's coming, there is joy to be shared in the world. The hymn reflects and renews what the psalm has always meant as Christmas liturgy. It catches up through our own voices and resounds with exuberance through humankind's singing and nature's recognition of what is happening. It interprets Christmas as the decisive event in the reign of God, something that changes history for the nations. Psalm 98 is basically kind of a swell or sort of ripples out from celebrating joy in the midst of a congregation of people singing joyful songs to the Lord out to all the peoples of the earth and even transforming creation, drawing creation in to God's praise. It starts with celebrating God's righteousness that he has brought us into a right relationship with himself through Jesus. But then it includes all of creation and God's redemption. And then a cry or a claim that God's salvation will go out into the world. That the nations will hear about Christ's birth and ultimately be drawn to God through Christ's life-giving death. And that this is worth singing about. Walter Brueggemann in his book, The Psalms and the Life of Faith, says, The song of celebration is a song sung at the appearance of a new reality, new creation, new harmony, new reliability. It is telling us that the new song occurs not only in the great hymns and psalms of enthronement when we're celebrating that God rules and reigns on the throne of heaven, but also in times of thanksgiving, which may come at any time of personal crisis where we're rescued or redeemed 
and we give God thanks and praise for it. You see, not only does Christ save us from our sin, and not only do we look forward to an eternity with him, but we celebrate the fact that God is ruling and reigning now and wants to save us out of our present situations and circumstances, our trials and tribulations. COVID and the last couple years of its impact have given us lots of reasons to cry out to God for salvation. Friends and families have been sick. There's been loss of life. There's been the diminishment of life in various forms and and impacts on kids going to school or our workplaces. And in all of those situations, we might fall into a place of despair or discouragement. But what this psalm does is cry out in hope to God that there will be reason to sing with joy once more. In singing this song, we find new reasons to to hope and place our faith in God. That God comes to rescue us each and every day. And he gives us this sure and certain confidence that our struggles and trials in the present will not be all there is. That in fact, because of Christ's coming, this world is not all there is. There is a reason to hope, to lift up our eyes and look to God. To know that evil and suffering will not last forever. You see, Christmas means that for you and me, there is all the hope in the world because Christ has come. So the psalm says that we're to sing a new song because of the great and marvelous things God has done. It says his right hand, his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Basically, God has reached down through Christ's coming and will pull us up with him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the nations will see the salvation of God. Just think about how that occurs through Christ's coming that this psalm announces. Wise men would come from afar to celebrate Christ's birth. The nations would come to know that the Lord reigns and rules and has come and touched the earth with his love and his care for us. You see, salvation, the salvation that God brought through Jesus, the marvelous deed of his coming, is not just for the people of Israel. It's for all nations, tribes, and tongues. All people that come to him and rejoice in his coming. God has done marvelous things. And there is every reason to give God thanks and praise. There's reason to give God and create new songs in every season of life. I don't know if you've ever written a song or a poem or had an experience that just led you to a time of reflection where you realized that something significant had happened and you needed to give God thanks and praise for that. Hopefully, in some ways, that happens for you every day through journaling perhaps, or just spending time in gratitude and thanksgiving to God. But it may be something significant in life, an experience of healing or being freed from sickness. It may be newfound joy that comes with a new job or opportunity. It may come through the birth of a child. But all seasons of life give us reasons to give God thanks and praise, to celebrate the fact that God does not leave us alone, but comes to bring us salvation. 
What this psalm does is point us forward to a time when Christ would come and bring God's salvation for all eternity. God had worked again and again in the history of Israel. He had led the Israelites out of Egypt in the Exodus. And in this psalm, it particularly is celebrating the fact that the Israelites had been under the oppression of the Babylonians. And King Cyrus of Persia had come and defeated the Babylonians and allowed the Israelites to return home to Jerusalem and Judah. The people of God were celebrating their salvation that God had brought. But it also points us forward that God will rescue and reveal his salvation in a powerful way when he sends Jesus. And we know through the Advent stories that angels will ultimately sing Gloria, that Mary, Elizabeth, and Zachariah will burst out with joyful song when they hear about their part in God's plan of salvation. Wise men will come and bow down in humble worship of Jesus. And shepherds will come and see who he is and then go and share the joy that they have in him. There are marvelous things that God does each and every day. But centrally, we celebrate the marvelous thing that God did in fulfilling the hope of the prophets. You know that there are roughly 325 prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled by Jesus. And many of them were around the circumstances of his birth. And you know, none of us can dictate where we're born and the circumstances through which we're born. Only God could ultimately fill his plans and designs by sending Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. But through a miraculous conception and a virgin birth to fulfill the promises of the prophets and the hope we have in Jesus. C.S. Lewis would say the incarnation of God, the coming of God in the person of Jesus is love coming down, lived among us. God comes down from the heights of heaven and reaches down into the depths of the earth to bring us up again with him. To lift us up when we're in places of despair and discouragement and to give us hope. The psalm speaks of victory which literally recreates us, makes us new, gives us new hope through God's presence with us and a reminder of his steadfast love and faithfulness that never fails us through the hard and difficult times of life. The Israelites needed to know that God could save them out of the exile that they were experiencing in Babylon and lead them into new hope. But we all need to know that God's love and care can penetrate our present circumstances and that the advent of God, the coming of God in the person of Jesus and the fulfillment of his promises can lift us up out of our despair. I remember a time where I needed to know this reality and the hope that is ultimately in God. I was 15, and you know, during that season of life, during middle school, I kind of wandered away from God. I always had a connection to the church and youth group, but it wasn't central for me. God wasn't the center of my life nor the source of my hope. And I remember falling in with this pretty bad group of friends that were just kind of leading me into stray. And, and this was the point of experimentation in my life with, with, uh, with alcohol and my, my brief drug use. And I remember a time when I was feeling a sense of despair and discouragement and distance from God. And I actually went to a U2 concert. 
It was at the Oakland Coliseum in 1987, and it was the Joshua Tree Tour. And I remember going to that concert with a few friends and just being caught up in the, just the, the amazing reality of about 80,000 people at this concert. And throughout the, the concert, there were just different seeds of hope that the songs were bringing. Uh, some of them have Christian themes. And, and uh, Bono, the lead singer of U2, and other members of the band claimed to follow Christ. But it was the end of the concert that really led me into a place of encouragement. You two at the time would always end their concerts with singing uh, a song they called 40. And it was based off of Psalm 40. And it simply said, I will sing. I will sing a new song. I will sing. Sing a new song. Well, the band started singing the song in the middle of Oakland Coliseum. And 80,000 people joined them. But when the concert ended, the song didn't end. All 80,000 people kept singing the song as they went out to their cars. And I, on my way to the BART station on the backside of the Coliseum, kept singing the song, surrounded by people continually singing the song. We got on the BART train, and it continued to sing all the way back home, literally. And I remember having that song in my heart for days to come. I will sing. Sing a new song. There are reasons to give God thanks and praise. At the time, I reflected back on how God had created me and placed me in a community, in a church where I knew God's love. And I, I had experienced that in, the, in the, the midst of this community. But I had also experienced that personally when I had accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior at a camp experience when I was 10. And how I had renewed that commitment through a, a confirmation class experience that my church had hosted when I was 13. And basically at that time, at the age of 15, I realized that my life song had been really ultimately set up, written by God. And that the song that I was singing, the way I was living my life at the present was a departure from him. And I needed a new song to sing. I needed a new focus in life. And it was at that time that God started to reveal that for me. We have a reason to sing a new song because God delivers us. He rescues us. That deliverance is a deliverance from sin, which is our greatest problem, our separation from God because of our sin. God reaches down through Christ and delivers us from the pain and the penalty of sin and draws us back into relationship with him. It also delivers us from death. From the ultimate despair of an eternity spent apart from God. Through Christ's coming and ultimately his death and resurrection, we have hope that this life is not all there is. On Friday night, uh, Josh and I were making a run to Little Caesars in all its glory. You know, running out for a $5 pizza. But it ended up being a divine appointment. Because I ran into a family that attends our church and the dad let me know that the wife's father, the, the grandfather of a couple kids that attend our youth group, was soon to be dying. He was on hospice and he's not expected to live much more than a week. And in the conversation with the dad, I said, well, would you want me to stop by and, and visit with the family? And he said, absolutely. So I got a call on Saturday and an invitation to come and spend time with this family of about 20 who was surrounding this patriarch of the family, this, this grandfather and father. 
And for an hour or so, I got to listen to them share their, their stories about this, this man. But I also got to read words of hope from Scripture to point them to the hope that we have in Christ, that because of his death and resurrection, death doesn't have the last word. That all those who place their faith and trust in Christ will be born again anew. And that they would see this man again in heaven because he had chosen to follow Christ as his Lord and his Savior. That family needed to know the hope that we have in Jesus. But we all need to know that hope, don't we? Each and every day. Life is too difficult to live without that hope. It's challenging enough living in light of the hope we have in Christ, much less without him. And sin and our struggles that we have with life are too much without the, the deliverance that God can bring. A deliverance that's ultimately a deri- deliverance from Satan and the power of evil. To know that evil and suffering do not have the last word. That through Christ's death on the cross, we can live again. The question in that is, where are you looking for hope right now? We can look to the world, but the world doesn't provide the hope that we need. The world's ultimately unable to solve its own problems. And even if it could solve some of our daily problems, it doesn't address the ultimate problem we have with sin and our separation from God. We might look to ourselves and think that we can somehow through self-actualization and self-improvement somehow gain a better life. But we recognize that all of us fall short at one time or another and that sin lives in us and drags us down. Even the Apostle Paul wrestled with this reality and the struggle with sin, crying out in Romans 7, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. What a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Paul would go on to say what we are powerless to do in our sinful flesh and humanity. God accomplished by the sending of his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering for us. Jesus comes in the humble form of a baby but he grows up to be a man who was willing to sacrifice himself for us and for our salvation. And those surrounding Jesus' birth had hints and whispers of this through angelic announcements and the fulfillment of prophetic words. If you were to look at Mary's Magnificat in Luke 1, 46 to 55, when she sang out as a result of the revelation that she would be the mother of the Savior, it echoes The words of Psalm 98. Mary knew that she had a new song to sing as a result of our Savior's birth. And that new song was about salvation and deliverance, about God making himself known. But not just to people individually. God makes himself known and his salvation is available to all of the nations. God reveals himself in such a way that he becomes his own evangelist or witness. He speaks to who he is through Christ's coming. And he draws people into worship, celebrating the fact that God does not leave us to our own devices, but has entered into this world in order to make all things new. God works to lead us into places of thanksgiving and hope. 
And so the psalm says that we are to shout to the Lord all the earth. We're to burst into jubilant song with music. We're to make music to the Lord with various instruments as Bo and others are helping us with today. We're to let creation resound with the sound of God's praise. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness, we are told, and the people with equity. If the first stanza of the psalm has to do with God's salvation, the second one has to do with God ruling and reigning over all of creation. That God is king and that he alone rules over all things. When we get caught up in that reality, we realize that Psalm 98 is a massive summons to praise. It invites all the earth to be drawn in to rejoicing that God is king. The invitation extends to the sea, the world, the floods, hills. All of creation is meant to echo with God's praise and honor him in some way. It's no wonder then that we often experience God's presence around water. I don't know about you, but a trip to the ocean for me, hearing the sound of the ocean crashing against the shore is just a resounding of God's praise and glory. When I hear the sound of rushing rivers, it echoes with almost echoing back to God the reasons we have to give him praise. When I watch a waterfall pouring down and just plunging down and exploding in the bottom of the pool, it echoes with the delight that I believe God created us with to enjoy life and to look for signs of his salvation and renewal. Just as we need water to drink to live, God gives us reasons to hope and to live in light of him and to give us new reasons to sing, to give us strength for living life each and every day. The hope that we need comes from the reality of God's intervention in this world, in our own lives, and even in creation. And this fall has been one of those times for me especially where just looking at the fall colors and the beauty around us leads me to give God thanks and praise again and again. A run through Empire Mine, a visit to one of the lakes in our area, sitting beside a quiet stream, all lead me into places of praise and thanksgiving again to give God the thanks he deserves for creating this world in which we live, but ultimately for entering into it through the gift and the coming of his son. What the psalm leads us into is finally a joyful anticipation of God's coming. That not only do we experience God's presence in our life personally when we look for him, not only do we see his presence active and involved in creation, but ultimately we recognize that one day God will come again. And in anticipation of his second coming, we celebrate his first coming in Advent, knowing that just as Christ came and was born in Bethlehem, one day he will come to set all things right. And not only draw us personally into the salvation that we have in him, but the scriptures tell us that he will be at work restoring all of creation. That there will be a new heaven and a new earth. The longing that we have for things to be set right by God is anticipated through the promises of Christmas. That Christ has come. 
And then when we admit that we cannot save ourselves or fulfill ourselves, that we, that we need Christ's intervention in our life, that opens us up to the hope that we can only ultimately have in him. As Tim Keller says, that leads us into understanding the hidden meanings of Christmas. You see, the gospel and the good news is not about what you have to do to earn God's favor. It's about what God has done in the birth of his son into this world. It is a gospel. It is good news, an announcement that you don't have to save yourself, that God has come to save you. Knowing and anticipating that God will bring about the redemption of this world roots us in hope. It gives us an understanding of the creation around us, that this is God's world. He made it, and we are his. Therefore, we need to respect the world and not abuse it, but live joyfully within it. It also brings the understanding that this world is not what it was created to be. It's been subjected to troubles as a result of God's judgment on man at the time of the fall. It's been subject to frustration and bondage and decay, according to Paul's teaching in Romans 8, where creation is literally longing for its redemption. But it also comes with the hope that the world will one day be renewed. I think of the way C.S. Lewis developed this idea in the Chronicles of Narnia in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In the first part, the book of, in the uh, book, the first book of Narnia, the, the world, the, the world of Narnia was under the power of a wicked witch. And the land was in a state of perpetual winter. The consistent refrain is it was always winter, but never Christmas. Spring never came. But when Aslan the lion rose from the dead, the ice began to melt. Flowers bloomed and trees turned green. It's poetical writing, but it describes something that will happen for all of creation. The rivers will indeed clap their hands. The mountains will indeed sing with joy when God comes again and sets all things right. The hope of the prophets is ultimately reflected in this psalm because it gives us anticipation and allows us to sing even in the midst of times that don't quite seem right. We can sing even when we're wondering how things exactly are going to work out because we anticipate God's restoration. And that our present struggles, the present season we're in, is not the last word. God has come in Jesus, and he will come again. And if that is true, then we can sing, we can dance, we can hope, we can laugh, we can live with joy again. Because this journey that we are on has a destination. A destination that is headed towards an eternity with our loving God who has paved the way through the coming of his son Jesus. Bo's about to come up and, and lead us in the song or play a song to just allow us to sort of spend time resting in the hope that we have in Christ. That through his coming, God will make all things new again. And as a result, we can live each day in hope. God, we thank you that you are here today. That even as we celebrate your coming over 2,000 years ago, you come through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, you are here in our midst today. 
and you love us and you care about us and you want to lead us into a new song, new hope, new joy. So God, we pray that you would meet with us today in worship and lead us into a place of anticipation of the joy and hope that you will ultimately bring when you lead us back to you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm.